your body is not worried about making breast milk at that point. Okay, your body's okay, I got to take care of you first. Okay, so all of that can kind of also play a part as far as um, the process of milk production. Hey, ladies, you're listening to the Mom Talks with Krista podcast, where I interview some of the most amazing women from those sharing knowledge related to labor, breastfeeding, and postpartum issues to everyday moms sharing stories of struggle, triumph, and the unexpected. These women are sure to give you honest conversations to help accomplish one key issue, getting rid of mom shaming. So if you want a judgment-free, open conversation, buckle your seatbelt and enjoy the ride. This is Mom Talks with Krista. All right, guys. Thanks for joining me today. I'm so excited because we're starting a new segment with Mommy Knows Best and Mom Talks with Krista. We have Kristen Sarando here, who's a lactation consultant and postpartum nurse from Florida. And she's starting a new segment where she's going to answer all of your questions in regards to breastfeeding, lactation, postpartum health, and so much more. So before I talk too much longer, Kristen, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and then we'll get right through the interview. Hi, everybody. Uh, super great to be a part of, um, of all of this. I am a lactation consultant out of Central Florida, but also a nurse. So I have the nurse background first. I've been a nurse for 16 years and a lactation consultant for 11. Very passionate about basically just helping moms in any way possible to be healthy, not only breastfeeding, postpartum, uh, but mentally, um, especially in the day that you know we're having children right now, um, things can be very stressful. So it's a big part of my practice uh, just to have a lot of that major support. So super glad that I can be here to offer you guys some insight on some frequently asked questions that you typically have. Awesome. I'm excited because yeah, we get so many questions coming in. So I'm really excited. I actually reached out to our followers on Instagram for a lot of these questions. And also these are just some reoccurring ones that we get. So perfect. Here we go. What can I do to help my milk supply while pregnant? So during pregnancy, there's not really a lot that you can do as far as milk production wise, but there's a lot of things that you can do educationally. So one of a few things when moms ask me when they reach out to me prenatally, some of the main things that I usually will talk to them about is definitely take a prenatal breastfeeding class, whether it be online or in person. It's amazing just how much you can learn and couple of hours. The breastfeeding class that I offer, basics breastfeeding, you know, not anything that's overwhelming is going to go into too much information, but how do I know I'm doing it right? And when do I need to reach out to somebody? So just some, a basic, you know, breastfeeding class, couple hour, it doesn't need to be like an all day course, anything like that. Um, The other thing that a lot of times that I see outpatient wise that moms are not aware of is sometimes if you have certain medical conditions or you don't have certain changes that you're supposed to have during pregnancy, those can actually be things that are hormonally within your body that might prevent you from actually producing good milk. So some of those things just in general had issues conceiving Um, Moms who have PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome, um, sometimes thyroid disorders, um, if you have gestational hypertension, a lot of those are hormonal based and also things that um, trigger milk production in general. If you're pregnant and you're having some of those, any type of complications prior to pregnancy, during pregnancy, issues conceiving, things like that, 
definitely would reach out to a lactation consultant prior to actually delivering just to say, Hey, you know, I have this and this, I haven't had breast changes. That way you already have somebody you've made contact with. So as soon as you deliver the baby, we can start some interventions. Some of the big things are, you know, if breastfeeding doesn't go well, the first couple of days, it actually will hinder long-term production. So we want to make sure that you're getting off to a good start. And a lot of times you're in and out at the obstetrician so quickly that they don't think to tell you, oh, you had issues conceiving, you might have issues producing breast milk because of the um, the inadequate of hormone levels that you have. So some, they don't even talk to you about some of those things. So it's, you know, just doing some of those little base prepared things is you know, something that can help you long-term. The other thing is go ahead and get your breast pump. Pretty much 99% of all insurance companies will cover a double electric breast pump. Now, depending upon what type of insurance you have, they might make you wait until you actually have delivered to obtain it. Um, But at least you can have the paperwork already filled out. You can have a prescription from the doctor and be ready to go. Some of them, it doesn't matter. You could just be pregnant and we'll go ahead and give you one. Some of them, it has to wait till your third trimester. Because if something happens that the baby is not with you, the baby say is a NICU or you're having a lot of issues, we want to make sure that you are prepared for when you go home and you have that already with you. um, So you have a good start getting off. So those are just some basic things, you know, not necessarily, can I increase milk production while I'm pregnant? Uh, We don't want you to do anything like that because actually stimulating the breast and doing some of that actually during pregnancy can trigger labor. Okay. So we don't want to trigger labor, but those are just some basic things that you can say, okay, nope, I didn't have any medical issues. We didn't have any problems conceiving. Um, I had breast changes, things that we're looking for. Did your breast get um, larger? Did the areola get larger in diameter, darker in color? Um, I've already got my breast pump, so I'm set up ready to go. So at least you're educated because it's going to be two of you that have had no experience, have no idea what you're doing. So at least by you having some education, and knowledge, um, you're able to kind of, okay, are things going well? Great. If they're not, okay, I already have somebody that I can reach out to right from the beginning. So then when it comes to after they've had their baby, what can moms expect the first few days when it comes to their milk supply? So naturally all babies are sleepy the first 24 hours, whether you had a vaginal delivery, C-section, a very rapid delivery, it was a long induction, all babies are sleepy. They're just adjusting to life outside of the uterus. Okay. So in the beginning, you're just going to have what's called colostrum. It's very thick and sticky. Um, It's made that way purposely to help coat the intestinal lining to prevent the babies from being exposed to any type of bacteria. It helps coat it. So that way, as they are eating, they don't have any type of GI issues. So very helpful. Um, So you have that colostrum the first couple of days. Around day two, day three, your milk starts to transition what we call transitional milk. So it's the colostrum and the mature milk 
coming together. So one is leaving, the other one is coming in. Breast might start to feel a little bit heavier, start to have some changes. And then usually by day five is when we call your milk is in per se. Your breasts are going to be full, possibly leaking, definitely heavier, and you're getting more quantity. You're going to hear gulping from the baby. You should go through those changes. Now, if something happens, you have a three-day induction, um, you ended up having to have a C-section or you hemorrhaged, any of those things, you're going to be more likely somebody who has delayed lactogenesis where the milk is more delayed than somebody who came in and had a pretty easy labor and delivered because your body has to take care of you first before it can do extra like making milk. So if you're struggling, you've lost a lot of blood, your hemoglobin's low, your blood pressure is low. Your body is not worried about making breast milk at that point. Okay. Your body's okay. I got to take care of you first. Okay. So all of that can kind of also play a part as far as um, the process of milk production, but ideally we have that colostrum and you can actually have colostrum uh, during pregnancy. Our body makes prolactin, which is your milk making hormone, but it has to be triggered and told uh, to make milk. But you can actually have it during pregnancy, especially third trimesters, your hormone levels start to change in anticipation for delivery. And then that transitional milk. So you're going to start to see some color changes of the milk and then a little bit more as far as quantity goes. And then definitely by day five is what we're looking for by day five, you are having no changes. The breasts aren't feeling any heavier. Um, they're not feeling any fuller. You're not seeing any more quantity. You're definitely going to see that in the baby because the baby is going to be hungry and their urine and their stool output is going to be less. Um, so if you're kind of getting to that point, baby's losing weight, they're jaundice, you're not seeing changes, you want to make sure that you reach out to somebody. There's some reason that your body has not been able to get your milk to come in per se. So we want to make sure that you're reaching out to somebody for assistance. And then when it comes to the difference between colstrum and mature breast milk, and you kind of talked, touched on that too, is that something that, you know, is going to be very, uh, very not on schedule, but on pretty much the same for everyone, or is it kind of different when it transitions to that mature milk and how can you kind of tell? Moms who have produced milk before typically it comes in sooner. Your body already knows how to do it. As soon as that stimulation, those hormone levels change, it kind of already activates it because it stays dormant in your system until it's told to be activated. But if it's already been activated once, it kind of typically comes in sooner with multiple children than it is for a first time mom. As long as the baby's feeding and you haven't had any major medical issues from delivery, it naturally will go through that process. So, you know, like I say, you have colostrum like days one through three. Transitional milk is around day three. Colostrum is going to be more of a yellow consistency. You're not going to see a lot of quantity. Um, you know, baby's tummy, the first couple of days is about the size of a gumball or marble. It's very small. Um, so they don't need huge quantities, which is perfect because that's about all that your body's making. Around day three, as it starts to transition, you're going to see some of that yellow kind of starting to turn a little bit more of a white color, but it'll also have a halo of 
clear. Okay. So that it'll start to look more of like a watery substance. That's the transitional milk. You're going to start to also feel necessarily not, I put my hands around my breast and they feel heavier, but you're going to start to feel changes kind of like against your chest, like where your clavicle and your breast bones are. They just kind of start to feel heavier, fuller, achier there. Cause back there is where the actual milk is produced um, in the lobules and the glandular tissue back there. So you're going to start to see some of those changes. And then really when your milk comes in, it really is very instantaneous. I used to say it's like the UPS guy came and dropped it off while you were sleeping. Now I use Amazon. So it's like the Amazon guy drove up at your door and dropped it off while you were taking a nap. So literally you could lay down and take a nap and wake up and your breast be super full, really big. Like you had a breast augmentation and right there, there they are. Um, they're very uh, predominant. Definitely you're leaking milk. It's not usually this overtime long long transition to when your milk comes in. Going back to what you were saying as far as, you know, if my milk doesn't come in, um, because I wanted to touch base on that really quickly, is you're going to definitely, as each day the baby gets older, their tummy grows. So if you're like, you're going to notice day three, day four, if you're not having any changes, you're going to have a really fussy baby that's crying and just wanting to eat very frequently, or you're going to have the opposite, a very lethargic baby. So a baby who is not getting any nutrition. So therefore it's struggling just to maintain life. So it can actually be both sides of the spectrum, a very sleepy baby. That's very hard to wake up and get to feed or a baby that's just fussy and crying all the time. That's telling you I'm not getting enough nutrition. So a couple of the big things that we look for as lactation consultants, we want to make sure that they don't lose too much weight. Naturally, they're going to lose weight because their diuresis in the amniotic fluid, just like mom does. So they're going to lose weight, but we don't want them to lose more than 10% of their birth weight within the first week of life. So losing weight is normal just within that range. We want to make sure they're having wet and dirty diapers. The wet diaper lets me know how well hydrated a baby is. Just like us, if we are not feeling well and we're sleeping all day, we're not drinking, we might only go to the bathroom once or twice a day. It's going to be very concentrated, kind of a little bit of odor to it. Same things with baby. If they're dehydrated, they're not going to be having those wet diapers. They won't be saturated and they'll usually have a dark, darker uh, color to them and they'll have more of an ammonia smell. Okay. Poops, all babies poop very differently. So it's so hard to determine poop as far as nutrition the first couple of days, but the poop is really beneficial because we want to make sure that they're stooling because that helps decrease their risk of jaundice because they're getting all that meconium out of their, out of their system. So we want to make sure that we're monitoring their weight, their peas and poops. They should have one wet and one dirty diaper for however many days old they are. Um, they're content between feedings and their jaundice level stays within a normal range. That's what we look at in the medical profession the first couple of days to determine, are they getting enough from mom? Okay. And if they start to fall off of the track with any of those, okay, then we start thinking, okay, what else, what else in the puzzle is going wrong that we've got to try to fix? So as moms, it's funny how kind of those motherly instincts do kick in and you know, I mean, if your baby's constantly feeding, you're not having those wet diapers, um, definitely reach out to somebody and you should be seeing the pediatrician within the first day or two days after coming home from the hospital 
hospital. So the good thing is, is you're following up with somebody pretty quickly. So that way we're getting those interventions met quicker if we need to. I also kind of wanted to talk on the other end too with milk supply. And I know each week or each month, we're going to kind of go a little bit further as the baby gets older and ask different questions, but I do want to talk about milk supply. So, you know, by, by day five, it should be, you know, the mature milk. So what can a mom do around that time if they want to increase their milk supply? Is there a need for it? Um, and what do you suggest for that time? So usually what I'll tell moms and, you know, in the lactation world in general, we really want to hold off on doing things to increase supply, pumping until a good couple of weeks, unless there's a need to do it earlier. The reason being, remember, the Amazon guy is going to come and drop off your milk at the house for you. It doesn't know how much your baby needs. Your body doesn't know how much your baby needs initially, which is a lot of times why moms initially go through primary fullness or engorgement where the breasts are really full. They're really swollen. It's uncomfortable because everything in there is swelling in anticipation for the milk to come in. And then when the milk comes in, it can be an overabundance for the baby that you just had, because again, their tummies are small. They don't need a lot of quantity. So by day five, the milk should be starting to come in, if not in, but it will continue to establish over the next two weeks based upon your baby's needs. So if I have a baby who doesn't need as much, it's going to start to slow down. If I have a baby who needs more, it's going to kind of increase. So at first it just drops it off. And then it kind of establishes the needs and basis for your baby. So we really want to try to do a lot of um, immediate interventions because we want your body to really regulate what your baby needs, which, you know, one of the biggest things, you know, with breastfeeding that I try to tell my moms is it's not black and white. There's this huge gray area. As long as you have the fundamentals of breastfeeding down, it's whatever works for you guys. We have, you might have a baby next door who's two weeks old that's drinking four ounces, but your baby's two weeks old and drinks two ounces, but maybe um, eats more frequently. That's okay. Both babies are thriving. They're doing well. So we can't necessarily compare babies to babies based upon that. Now, reasons that we would want to do interventions. So say I had a mom at history of low milk supply or milk never came in, or I have that mom that the baby was separated from her from delivery at delivery, um, or she had, she hemorrhaged, um, or, you know, she has polycystic ovarian syndrome with no breast changes. Those are going to be the moms that if, if I was seeing them in the hospital setting, I would closely be monitoring why they were there, if not going ahead and starting um, some additional pumping for that extra stimulation to try to stimulate the body as much as I could. So that way, when her milk came in, it came in sufficiently enough for her baby. But otherwise, if there's no really medical reason, the baby's feeding, the baby's doing well, they're having those wet and dirty diapers, they're meeting those milestones that we're expecting them to meet, we want you to wait and until a good two to three weeks out. So that way your body knows how much milk your baby needs and it can kind of adjust because if we're overstimulating, not only are you going to have a huge quantity, which I feel like it's a competition who can have the most stored milk in the freezer and they show pictures and things like that. 
but it can actually cause other issues. So if a mom has too much milk, the babies could be getting too much fore milk and not enough hind milk, which is the fatty milk that's at the end of the feeding, which is going to be the really the milk that's going to help them uh, gain weight and kind of get fat. If they're getting too much fore milk, which is the milk that's at the beginning of the feeding, then they it's kind of like skim milk. It's still going to help them gain weight, but they tend to have a lot of issues with that as well. They um, tend to be spitty. They can cause a lot of gas. Stools be really loose. So it can come with complications as well. So we want to make sure that they are waiting for a good couple of weeks. And then at that time, if they want to start, say, introducing a bottle or they want to kind of store up a little bit of milk for when they go back to work, then at that time, it would be appropriate. So what I usually would recommend that moms do at that particular point in their breastfeeding um, experience with their baby is add in a couple pumping sessions a day. So your milk supply is highest in the morning, decreases after lunch into the evening hours, and then picks back up again in the middle of the night because your hormone prolactin increases and decreases throughout the day. So I usually will tell them take two, maybe three feedings. So you feed the baby, say the baby eats at six o'clock in the morning, you feed the baby, baby settled, you pump for about eight to 10 minutes, just a short time frame. One, to get additional uh, stimulation, but two, you're take, we call it your residual. What is left over after the baby ate? It might be a half an ounce. It might be an ounce, but you're kind of taking that milk out of the breast to where you can use it later for feeding purposes. So if you're going to do it, do it maybe one or two feedings in the morning, and then maybe like at night, right before you go to bed. So just kind of adding in a couple of those a day, anything that you get, you can combine together, and then you can kind of start your stash based upon that. You really don't want want to do the pumping in the afternoon and the evening times because that's when your supply is actually at its lowest. So the baby's pretty much going to be getting everything that's there. Okay. So we really don't want to be doing it during that time because we're taking actually additional milk away from the baby because it's already at its lower supply. So try not to do it during that time of the day, but in the morning or at night. And again, if you're doing it after feeding, it's like half the time that we would tell you to do a normal pumping session. So about eight to 10 minutes. If you are pumping in lieu of putting the baby to the breast, then you do a full like 20 minute um, pumping session. This podcast is sponsored by Mommy Knows Best. Are you looking for a lactation cookie that's not only effective, but tastes good? Mommy Knows Best offers an assortment of lactation cookies, brownies, and our newest ready to eat lactation cookies. Perfect for our on the go moms. We offer six different flavors, including a dairy and gluten-free option. And let me tell you guys, you would not even know it's dairy and gluten-free unless someone told you. It's, it's so good. Mommy Knows Best empowers all moms with the tools and resources necessary to give your newborn the best start in life. With an assortment of lactation treats and supplements that contain all natural herbal remedies traditionally and effectively used for generations to treat low milk supply. Whether you're a new mom or a pro, Mommy Knows Best gives you plenty of options, all of which are created with the health and safety of both baby and mom in mind. Right now, Mommy Knows Best is offering 20% off when you use the code MOMTALKS at mommyknowsbest.com. That's M-O-M-T-A-L-K-S for 20% off. And that was perfect because that kind of answered the next question we had from a follower as well. And 
I'll kind of angle it a little differently since you kind of answered it, but she said one week postpartum and currently exclusively breastfeeding. I would like to start pumping. So my husband can help feed what tips or suggestions you have to get started. So I know you kind of, you recommend a couple of weeks just before you start pumping. So what are some other ways that, you know, she can have her husband help if he can't necessarily help that first week with feeding. So what are some other things he can do to help her? Oh my gosh. I love this part because I, you know, the dads are always like chilling out there on the other side and like, there's so many things that you can do to be beneficial to mom. So a couple of things, just after delivery in general, making sure that mom needs to be drinking, she needs to be resting and she needs to be eating. When we are breastfeeding as well as postpartum, we are typically eating and sleeping. We are exhausted. You could go hours without actually having had something to drink or to eat. So I tell dad that they're put on that duty. So making sure her water pitcher is filled from the hospital or she's got water to be drinking. If she hasn't eaten, you know, feed her, make sure that she's had a snack or a sandwich or something. And when the baby's done feeding, take the baby from mom. You can do the cuddling and the swaddling and kind of putting them to sleep. So that way she can rest because some of the key foundations for establishing a good milk supply is making sure that mom's healing. I mean, she just gave birth to the baby. So we've got to make sure that she's healing. She's resting as much as possible because she's going to have to be the one up in the middle of the night when the baby um, is up all night. Uh, So she's got to make sure that she's getting that rest. And then she's got to have lots of calories. She's actually going to be eating more calories breastfeeding than what she was during uh, pregnancy. So those are some just basic things there. Also, you know, maybe the baby's starting to give feeding cues um, and showing that their baby's getting ready to wake up. Mom can go to the bathroom, uh, take her pain medicine if she needs it. Dad can be the one that unswaddles the baby, changes the baby's diaper, kind of gets the baby prepared and ready for mom. So that way, when she comes back, she's, you know, good to go. Also, one of the other thing is burping, you know, so dads can be the diaper changers, the burpers, but then they can be the cuddlers afterwards. You know, they can do skin to skin with baby while mom goes back to sleep. So there's a lot of things that they can do just to be active as far as physically handling and taking care of the baby, but also taking care of mom. And then I call it the family moderator. (laughs) So, you know, if people are and you know, we're not having it right now, um, you know, with COVID and all the changes going on in, in the world in general, but, you know, if people are wanting to come see the baby, or drop things off or call, making sure that dad can be that go-to person. So say mom finally got to sleep, you know, they're the one texting or calling and say, hey, now's not a great time. Or can you just drop it off at the front door or the, you know, if they're dropping off food or whatever, but mom and baby aren't able, uh, you know, to kind of socialize at that time. And that's one of those things that's an uncomfortable subject, especially with family. So, but definitely, you know, unfortunately those people aren't going to be there in the middle of the night when mom's got to be up all night to feed a baby. So that's a great thing that they can do and kind of emotionally take that off of mom to where she doesn't feel guilty about not having people be able to come over, come over to see the baby, but I'm tired. I don't feel like getting dressed, you know, so there's a lot of great things that dads can do um, just to be supportive and help meet her needs to make things a little bit of an easier transition for um, getting off to a good start. Cause yeah, I think a lot of times they assume like if, uh, 
you know, he can't start feeding then, you know, then I have to do everything. So I think that's great to hear of all the other ways that uh, their partner can help. This one, you also kind of answered a little bit. I mean, is it typical if a mom had low milk supply for, for their first child, they're going to have it again, or if it's different every time and should they prepare differently or try something different if that's the case? Absolutely. So um, definitely, you know, again, you would be somebody during pregnancy, I would reach out to a lactation consultant. Maybe you saw them with your first baby and say, hey, I'm pregnant again. These are the issues we had with number one. I want to have you readily available to kind of help the process. Also, too, when I'm seeing a patient in the hospital, I kind of get some history. Well, what happened the first time? Was it really you were breastfeeding every two to three hours and the baby was doing well, but just had a low supply, which is very rare. There has to be something else that's kind of contributing to it. Maybe you had stitches and the stitches weren't healing, or maybe you had retained uh, placenta or some type of blood products that was preventing your milk from fully coming in, or say that you had a baby that had a poor suck reflex and really wasn't feeding well the first couple of days, or you initiated bottles right away and you were skipping feedings at the breast. So kind of really trying to get a history of what what happened the first time? What was there anything that sticks out as a lactation consultant that would have hindered milk from coming in from the beginning and making sure that we kind of nip that in the bud right from the beginning? Okay, well, maybe you initiated bottles right away because you weren't making milk, but actually in return that hindered. So definitely would be somebody that I would make sure that they, you know, had a lactation consultant, um, speak to them ahead of time and kind of prepare. If you were that one that, no, I was feeding every couple of hours, um, I was doing everything that I thought I could and the milk just never came in. Absolutely. You're going to be somebody that we're on top of right from the beginning. Did you have breast changes? Were there, are there any medical concerns, maybe medical things that we missed that we're not picking up on and definitely would be somebody that I would initiate pumping right away. If I have a baby who's not doing a good job, we supplement that with the pumping to make sure that you are still getting adequate stimulation, whether it be um, manual expression or physically pumping to help your body the best that we possibly can to get that, to get that milk to come in. You would also be somebody that I probably would maybe, you know, do some type of galactoglogs or herbal supplements right from the beginning. If I have followed somebody for their entire breastfeeding experience with baby number one, and I know them, and I know that we checked off all those boxes and they're pregnant again, absolutely. There's somebody that right away, we're going to be doing a lot of additional interventions just to help facilitate having a different experience this time. So I actually had someone reach out asking about this today about a low glandular issue or tissue mm -hmm. um, and having an issue with milk supply. Is that something that they can go into a lactation consultant and they'd be able to test or how is that figured out? It's not really something that we test for. Usually you can tell physically by looking at a patient where they don't have enough glandular tissue. So during, during your teen years, when you were starting your menstrual cycle and you were going through some of your female changes, how your breasts developed. Um, if you were very athletic, say you were a swimmer or a gymnast, you're constantly working out that upper body. And usually they don't have as much breast tissue as say maybe somebody who wasn't athletic. 
when it comes to milk production, people really think that if I have small breasts, I'm going to produce little milk. If I have big breasts, I'm going to produce large quantities. Not necessarily the case. It just has different storage capacity. So if I have somebody who's got smaller breasts, their breasts will probably swell a little bit more and the baby might want to eat a little bit more frequently because there's just not enough storage capacity to have all of that extra. Okay. But if it true issue where they did not develop properly, a lot of times they will also have issues with milk production. But again, I could have a mom, a classic case is people that have polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, We call it PCOS. A lot of times they have classic sign of very uh, little glandular tissue. Their breasts develop very oddly, not necessarily the normal rounded shape like we would, you know, think of if we, you know, looked up breasts, say on the internet or whatever. Um, They're usually very thin and kind of squishy. There's just not a lot there. So that lets me know that there was some type of hormonal response when she was developing. So that can also contribute to milk production. But again, I've had moms that have PCOS that make tons of milk. And then I have moms that have it that make none whatsoever. So everybody is very different. There's a difference within medically that type of scenario than say, I was a gymnast, I competitively uh, competed and worked out and they have small breasts based upon working out and being athletic versus I didn't develop quite right um, when I was, you know, developing as a child. One can be more just physical and the other one can be more medically. So so we have to kind of look at both of those aspects to determine in this particular case, which is it. Okay. And, you know, definitely would still reach out to a lactation consultant because again, we want to, you know, those are things that we want to catch early enough and, you know, see, is it medically something that caused it or is it just how you developed during puberty? Cause you were very active. Right. Okay. Awesome. Very good to know. So now when we get a little in- into like the first few weeks, what are some signs that baby is hungry? What are, what are different signs they show? So it's so cute. Cause I do like this. I have a, a breastfeeding class and I show a picture and it's so cute because as nurses we'll come into a mom's room and the babies are showing feeding cues. And it's so funny because the parents will be, Oh, look how cute. Look at the little thing that they're doing. And I'm like, no lady, they're telling you, you better hurry up. Cause I'm getting ready to start screaming. Um, <laughs> so in the beginning, and it's, you know, it's not one of those things where you have to look on top of your baby while they're sleeping and look for feeding cues. Oh my gosh, what are they doing? Is that a feeding cue? No, you know, we want you to kind of be relaxed, but if a baby's nice and asleep, they're not doing anything, they're good. Early feeding cues are, I'm starting to wake up. You know, you might want to go to the bathroom, get your pain medicine, get something to drink. Those would be, I'm just kind of wiggling around a little bit. If I'm swaddled, you're going to kind of see me moving. Maybe my head turns from side to side. If you're holding me, maybe my eyes open up a little bit and just kind of that initial wiggling and kind of moving around. So you have a good few minutes to kind of do things that you need to do. But those are, I'm starting to wake up. Now my eyes are open. I'm looking around. I'm smacking my lips. I'm putting my hands to my mouth. Those are, okay, 
That's what I told you. You better hurry up because I'm getting ready to start crying if you don't get your act together, mom. Okay. So those are, that's when they're going to be more of a willing participant. If you're having issues getting the baby to latch, you don't want to wait until they're screaming because it's going to be harder to get them to latch onto the breast when they're at that hangry point. So we want to make sure that as soon as they're starting to wake up, I know it's about feeding time. Let's go ahead and let's get them undressed, let's change their diaper, put them skin to skin and go ahead and try to feed because they're gonna, like I said, they're gonna be a better student and willing participant. By the time that I got my tongue sticking out, I'm smacking my lips, I'm screaming, I'm crying. Those are late cues. Those are, okay, you missed your boat. Now I'm hangry and I'm irritable. So it's gonna be much more difficult to get a baby to calm down and get them to, to the breast. So at that point, I tell moms, put the baby skin to skin, hold them, maybe express a little bit of breast milk, put it in their mouth to kind of give them something to taste. Okay, okay, I know it's there. I'll calm down a little bit and then work on putting them to the breast. So if, if you can try to catch some of those earlier cues, that's better. But that doesn't mean, like I said, your eyeballs have got to be watching them the entire night that they're sleeping, waiting for those cues. A lot of babies will naturally kind of start moaning and wiggling and you'll hear them before they get to that crying point. But we do have a few of those babies that go zero to 10 very quickly and there's no warning. So that's okay too. Don't feel like, oh my gosh, I missed an early feeding cue because now my kid is screaming. That's okay. You know, ideally it's best if we look for those early signs, but if not, then put them skin to skin, get them calmed down, try to express a little bit of colostrum or breast milk for them, put it in their mouth, let them taste it, give them a little bit to kind of calm them down and then work on getting them to latch to the breast. Perfect. And this kind of goes along with it too. How often should I breastfeed my baby in the first few weeks? Different people are going to tell you different things, depending upon if you delivered at a hospital that's baby friendly. They just say basically feed on demand. Well, in the early days, they don't necessarily know what a full tummy feels like. So they're probably going to sleep versus eating. If you're all curled in a bed and you got covers all wrapped around you, I would sleep versus eating any day. So we've got to kind of wake them up and teach them, you know, this is a, this is one of those things in life that we have to do to sustain life. You know, we've got to make sure that we're eating. So what I tell moms is about every two to three hours. So look for the baby to show you signs around two hours that they're hungry, but definitely by three hours, you're waking them up to feed. I really don't want them to go past three hours without feeding that first couple weeks. I also say, or on demand. So if I just fed the baby, but then in an hour, they're ready to eat again, that's okay too, okay? So we give you a time frame. So basically a good rule of thumb is definitely by three hours if they have haven't showed me any cues, but if they want to eat sooner than that, absolutely go ahead and feed them because we have to teach them that we've got to, we want to put food on their tummy. So their tummy expands. So they learn what that full feeling feels like. They learn very quickly and they know that when it's empty, they know that feels uncomfortable, which is they cry telling you that they're ready to eat again. Usually by two weeks of life, babies are back up to their birth weight and they're gaining and doing well. At that point, once they're back up to their birth weight, they're having those wet and those dirty diapers. They're no longer jaundiced. They're doing really well. 
that's when you can allow them to go longer in between feeding sessions without waking them up. But I tell moms do that only at night. They come out and they're naturally nocturnal. So we want to adjust their sleep and awake schedule based upon what ours is. So during the day, keep the lights on, your noise, the windows open, you know, don't be the baby sleeping and keeping them on that three hour schedule unless they want to eat sooner. But at night, that's when, you know, the the lights are out, the blinds are closed, it's a calming atmosphere. And if they sleep four or five hours stretch, that's okay at that particular point. Um, but we want to make sure they've met those that criteria before we allow them to start doing that. So that's all the questions I have for this first interview. That was awesome. These are great Q&A questions. And like I was saying, like, we'll do these once a month. So I'll be reaching out to the audience once a month and we'll kind of move these as the baby gets older and we'll, we'll throw in some postpartum for mom as well. So I know you're getting a website made as well. Do you have any other links you want to share or any other information for yourself where people can find you? Um, so right now my website is not live yet, but will be here in like a week or so. So um, definitely it's orlandolactation.com or you can just Google me, Kristen Sarando. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out. Be more than happy to answer any of your guys' questions uh, that I can. Thanks for listening to the Mom Talks with Krista podcast. For more information about this show, past shows, or to check out our YouTube channel, please see our show notes. If you loved the show, please share it with your mom tribe. The bigger, the better. Thanks for listening and have a great day.